0: So I must admit, I must confess that this, um, when, I, when I got to this passage earlier this week and I read through it, I was thinking, you know, this is, this is very similar to what we read last week at the closing of chapter 18. And so I'm gonna go through this. I might make a few points. I might point out a few things here and there between verses one and 15, but I don't think I'm gonna actually preach on this text because it's been kind of, it kind of is repetitive from last week. And boy, see, that's what happens when I do the thinking. I'm a real dum-dum. I, I couldn't have been more wrong. And the more that I looked at this, the more I was like, no, Ian, shush, be quiet. All of Scripture is God-breathed. This is something that we need to hear. What we see here tonight is, is there's a lot that's going on here that's easy to miss. There's a lot that's going on that's underneath the surface. But we see... Old Testament prophecy, again coming to completion, we see the depravity of human beings, we see just how evil we are, we see that things that are spoken of in the Old Testament, things that are spoken of in other portions of scripture are actually made manifest here in this very event of Jesus being handed over, being given a crown of thorns, being beaten and, and, and whipped, being mocked before Pilate and the rest of the Jews. There's so much here that's happening that the Old Testament and further into the New Testament is explained to us, but here we see it actually taking place. This moment here, this, this beginning of Jesus' torture, this, he's already been arrested. He's been led around between Herod and between Caiaphas and back and forth, Annas and all of this runaround. It's a mock trial, it's a joke. No witnesses can get their story straight. The religious leaders themselves can't get their story straight. They're accusing him of multiple things, just hoping that something will stick. They're desperate. <laughs> They're dumb. Pilate sees it. He knows it. It says in Scripture that he knew that it was out of envy that they were giving Jesus over to him, and he's trying to get Jesus out of this. But he's also on his last, he's on his last leg. And if he does anything to upset this mob of people and cause an uproar, then he's going to lose his job. Tiberius will fire him from his position because Pilate will prove that he's inept and it's possible that he will even lose his life and so this whole thing here is it's very normal it's very terrestrial it's very human but it also is the preordained plan of God that was set in motion it was it was it was planned to be set in motion before even the foundation of the world and what we see here is described in In Romans chapter 3 verse 24 where it says that God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation that is that Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice for the severity of sin instead of us being punished for our sins Jesus took that punishment upon himself and not only did he take the punishment upon himself on the cross but we also we don't just get off the hook we get what Jesus gets we get his accolades we get his 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 medals, we get his trophies, we get his success, we get his legal record. We're not just let off and are at zero, and then left to live our lives however we please. We actually are when we are born again, when we become Christian, when we are saved, whenever we have the Holy Spirit quicken us and aliven us to the things of God. And Jesus saves us. God saves us. We get what Jesus gets. We're given a, a perfect record and so Jesus here is, is 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 acting out this very real weighty truth of being our propitiation we see it unfolding right here before our very eyes we see him as a propitiation Ephesians 5 2 uses the same language but it's but Paul writes there that Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice so we see Jesus here as the propitiation we see him here as a sacrifice and I love the language Paul writes in Romans that God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation. And then Paul writes in Ephesians that Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. And the only reason why that makes sense is because our God is triune and Jesus is God in the flesh. And he doesn't do anything that the Father isn't doing. He doesn't say anything that the Father isn't saying. Christ gave himself because God was also giving him. And because God was giving him, Christ gave himself. You cannot separate them. Philippians 2.8 shows that this is also an act of obedience. It says that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In John chapter four, you might be familiar with the story of Jesus meeting with this woman at the well and after they have their interaction, Jesus has been hiking about 20 miles from the south up to the north. He's in Sychar, he's at a well, he meets this woman. It says that he's tired, he asks her for a drink and after she leaves, the disciples show up and they say, Master, you need to eat something. You've got to be hungry. And he says, I've got food that you don't know about. And these guys are thinking corporeally, right? They're, they're thinking about, he has some food, like he actually has some grub, like he's got some bread or a sandwich. And they say amongst themselves, Who gave him something to eat? And Jesus says, No, 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 no. I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about food that you eat. The the food that I have to eat is to do my Father's will and to complete his work. So obedient was Jesus to the Father's will, so submitted was he to the Father's decrees that he even went to the cross because it was decreed for him to do so. And you know what, friends? I don't know if I have that kind of obedience. This is challenging to me. I want this kind of obedience. I don't want to just obey Jesus when it's easy or beneficial or makes people in the church think that I'm cooler than I am I want to obey Jesus when nobody but him is watching and it might really really hurt here we see Jesus being obedient his very food was to do his father's will even though his father's will was leading him right into absolute certain death and that that death this is the beauty of the upside down kingdom that in this ostensible seeming humility and weakness and submission which it was but the humans here think that jesus is just this dork you know he's this loudmouth who's now getting what is coming to him he's being beaten he's being flogged but we're told in hebrews 2 4 that it was here at this very moment him going to the cross that he rendered the devil powerless he defeated the devil his death conquered satan his death conquered death this is our jesus he's amazing He is incredible we see his obedience we see his sacrifice we see him as our propitiation and we even see him as victorious and all of this is taking place because this is also a murder it's a lawless murder acts 315 this day is recounted and it says that you, you you the Jews you asked for Barabbas to be given to you and you put to death the author of life Jesus was murdered he let himself be taken away in chains, he let himself be beaten, he wore our sin, and we're going to see tonight in this text that he quite literally wore the imagery of our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, and we see Jesus actually put on the garments representing sin itself, and so it begins with the scourging. Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him, or he scourged him, and there was a couple of different ways that the Romans did this and there's not really any agreement on what which one of the scourgings Jesus received here people did receive scourgings very most commonly in the Christian Church it's taught that Jesus received the 40 lashes minus one with what's called the cat of nine tails it's a whip with nine leather straps and in the leather straps is tied in bone and stone and glass and that a person would be whipped so much that it actually would reveal their internal organs. It would rip so much skin off of their back that their internal organs would be revealed and sometimes even would fall out from their body and they would die there on the spot before they were ever even led to their crucifixion. Another, another flogging that could have taken place is that people would be strapped, their arms would be pulled far apart and their back would be tied, tightened and they would be whipped with these long sticks and it would cause these deep bruises and, it would, and it, would, it would slap the skin so hard that the skin would rip like a piece of paper. And whichever one that it is that Jesus received here, it doesn't really matter, but he gave himself over to this scourging. He was punished. And what we see here in this punishing is like, why is this happening? Well, it's because this is what happens when the perfect God of the universe meets sinful people. This is how we respond. This is one of the things that we see acted out in Jesus' life that we've read about earlier in the Gospel of John. We're told in chapter 3, Jesus himself says that here is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and the world hated the light, preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil. And so here we see how much the, the world, unregenerate, hearts of stone, people who are unsaved, what, what they do when they come against perfect righteousness, they rebel against it, they kill it. They wanted Jesus dead. They certainly did not understand the full weight of what they were doing here, but this is what happens when the perfect God of the universe comes up against the dark evil of the world. This is the state of the human heart apart from being regenerated by God himself. And this was Pilate's scheme. Pilate was scared, Pilate was torn. He knew that he could lose his job, he could lose his life, but he also knew that Jesus was innocent. He didn't want to kill him and so he gives him over to be punished. We're told in Luke 23 that he led him away to be punished and he was hoping that I'll punish Jesus, I'll hurt him, I'll make him bleed, I don't want to kill him, but then I can show him to the people and, and maybe their bloodthirst will be satiated, maybe they'll relax, maybe they'll go away and I can be left alone, and Jesus won't have to die, but he's punishing innocence. He knows better. He's declared that Jesus is innocent. He will continue to declare that Jesus is innocent, but yet he goes right ahead along anyways, and he punishes him. Try to please his own conscience. This is what Jesus was referring to in Luke's gospel. As Jesus is being arrested, he says to his to the to his captives he says or to the people who are taking him captive he says this is satan's hour this is whenever it seems as if satan is winning this is when it seems as if the plan of god is failing and jesus is a fraud and he's insufficient to save this is the hour when it seems as if that is true but as it's already been stated this is the very thing that defeated satan and defeated death this very act here is the beginning of death being demolished death being devoured, as Paul wrote. This is the enmity between the seed. One of the things that we're seeing here is mentioned in in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sin and eat of the forbidden fruit. And the woman says, it was the serpent who deceived me. And Yahweh Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than any of the cattle and more than any of the beasts of the field. And on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all of the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." That's in the very first few pages of the Bible, and here we now see it beginning to be acted out. We see Jesus being bruised as he is crushing the serpent, the very thing that the serpent thinks he's winning. This speaks to our own depravity. This is lawless. Jesus is being beaten, he's being punished, even though he's been declared innocent. It's so frustrating. But 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is lawlessness, and this sin, made us a curse. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable and he says that at the end of days, the Lord will come and he'll put one group on his left and one group on his right and he'll say to the group on his right, welcome, come into the, into the, into the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world and he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed. This is, what, this is the difference that Jesus makes. We are accursed, or we are blessed and welcome into the kingdom, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Ephesians 2 says it like this, you are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And Jesus, talking to Nicodemus in John three thirty-six, that if you do not, anyone who does not obey the Son, that is to believe in the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. It's a scary verse. It's a scary verse. Some of us think that, well, if I'll just do my good deeds and maybe at the end my good will outweigh my bad and I'll be okay, but what Jesus teaches here is that the wrath is already on you. And the only way out of that wrath, the only way out of the punishment of sin that we deserve is the person of Jesus Christ and that is the work that he's doing right here before our very eyes. Such, we're so depraved, guys. We're so depraved and we're so sick and twisted that, that the Lord says in Genesis 3.17 that even the ground is cursed because of us and we see jesus taking this on him right here and right now it's bad news it's sometimes hard to listen to it's not very popular to preach it even in the pulpit and that's a sad reality and i don't care how it makes people feel i know that it's tough it's in the bible and i have to preach it but we see here then the up the other side of that coin jesus taking that curse upon his very self even the ground is cursed because of us. Well, look what Jesus. Look what happens to Jesus next. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him, and they were coming to him saying, "Hail, King of the Jews!" and were giving him slaps in the face. Just as a, just kind of as a side note, I was doing some research on uh, what historians believe was the plant that most likely was used to to weave together this crown of thorns with. The kind of plant that's pliable enough to bend without it breaking, but also thorns that are, are gnarly enough that it would really inflict suffering on a human being. And there was one that everyone sort of has landed on, and I can't remember the name of it because it's got some, it's got some scientific name that is, looks like somebody spilled the alphabet on the ground and was like, that's a word now. And that's what this plant is called, you know, but it had thorns that were 12 inches long. 12 inch long thorns quite possibly wrapped around in a crown and put on Jesus's head and we have to pause for a minute and be like what's ha- what it- what's happening here they're mocking him he's been accused of claiming to be the king of the Jews and so they're putting a crown on him haha I get it but there's more to it than that what are thorns what are thistles They're a direct result of sin. They're not a part of the original creation. They're not good. They're not seen as a good thing. They're actually on the plant to protect the plant from predators, and predators were not originally part of creation. But the Lord said to Adam and Eve whenever they sinned, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow you will work it, and thorns and thistles it will produce for you. And Jesus takes the thorns and the thistles, the very imagery of original sin, and literally has it placed on his head. It's incredible. These are the sort of details, again, that make I cannot logically believe that this book is just made up by people. The imagery is too brilliant. It's too interconnected. It's way too smart. It's way too big and yet all in one piece for humans to just come up with this. And also with this this crown of thorns that's put on Jesus' head, the thorns and thistles of sins, we also have here the imagery of Leviticus 16 of of the scapegoat. The high priest Aaron would place his hands on a goat's head and basically impute the sins of all of israel for the year on that goat while holding on to the goat's head and then chase the goat out of the city to die out in the wilderness somewhere and jesus here is going to be led out of the city to die on a cross with the image of sin on his very head and they put a purple robe on him purple again i don't think that's an accident some translations say that it, was, that it was a crimson robe. And Isaiah 1.18 says that though your sins be as scarlet, they will become white as snow. Here we have Jesus, the propitiation of our sins, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, obediently going towards death crowned in the very imagery of sin itself he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God he put on the crown of thorns so that we would be able to put on what first Peter what Peter says in first Peter is the crown of glory he says you will receive a crown of glory and it's because Jesus put on this crown of thorns or it was placed on him he let them put the crown on him so they begin mocking him verse 3 and they were coming to him and they were saying hail king of the jews and they were giving him slaps in the face now the the word the, the word here for slaps is a word that could mean slaps with an open hand or it could also mean being hit with a rod or hit with a stick and i believe that it's that what is actually the imagery here is that he's being hit with a stick he's being He's being beaten on the head with a staff. Because in Matthew chapter 27, Matthew says that they beat him with a rod or with a stick that they had placed in the hand. Again, mocking him, giving him this this fake scepter as they jeered at him and they made fun of him. And then they used that very stick to beat that crown of thorns deeper into his scalp. Jesus is mocked and he is ridiculed and he is abused and he is tortured so that we may receive praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.7. Praise and honor and glory. We, we get that, because that's what Jesus deserves. And we get what Jesus deserves. It's an incredible reality. I don't bow to it enough. I don't understand it enough. I want to understand it more. We get praise and honor and glory, and he got mocked and beaten and ridiculed and abused. He got what we deserve so that we can get What he deserves. It was Charles Spurgeon who said that we can stand before Almighty God as if we were Christ because Christ stood before Almighty God as if he were us, the innocent one. The innocent one took our place, and Pilate said he was innocent. Pilate came out again and said to them, "Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no fault in him and here this makes the, this makes the people mad. Remember earlier in chapter eighteen, they come to Pilate with Jesus, and Pilate comes out of his of the the praetorium and he says what charge do you bring against this man and they don't they don't say they don't give him a charge what they say is believe us if this man were not evil then we wouldn't be handing him over to you and what they're saying is listen we're the sanhedrin we're the pharisees you don't need to question us you can trust us we've taken him in we've interrogated him we've questioned him we have we've investigated and we are sure that this man is an evildoer so you don't need the details just take our word for it and kill this guy He's guilty, and now now the governor of Rome is coming out and saying he's not guilty. He's flexing on these these Jewish leaders, and they don't like it. They said he was guilty, and, and Pilate said, no, he's not. He's not guilty. I find no fault in him. So then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man, or "Ecce homo. And there's, there's, again, there's some controversy then some disagreement about what's happening here. Some people think that Pilate is just making fun of Jesus, that now that Jesus is beaten and he's mutilated and he's bleeding profusely and he's got this robe and this crown of thorns on his head and maybe still the scepter in his hand, Pilate is pointing to him before the crowds and saying, This is the guy that you were worried about this is the rebel, this is the insurrectionist, this guy, come on. Behold the man. There's others that think that Pilate is desperately trying to appeal to the pity of the people. Look, behold the man. Look at him. This is enough. This is enough. Let him go. I find no guilt in him. He's bleeding. He's hurt. Let him go. This is enough. And they, don't, they do not take it. They do not accept it. Whatever Pilate's intention was, the Jews' bloodthirst is not satisfied. And the chief priests and the officers, when they saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. That's the third time he said this. I find no fault in him. They cry out, Crucify, crucify. Pilate says, I find no fault in him and they cried out even louder for his blood. And it's just so mind boggling because again, these guys were just coming to Pilate saying, trust us, we're holy men. We do what's right, we act with integrity. You don't need a, a list of what this guy has done, just take our word for it. We're being, we're honest guys, right? We're the Sanhedrin, we're the Pharisees. And now here they are crying out for his blood, a man who has been declared innocent. It's amazing what Jesus put up with here for us. Not just the physical beatings, the physical agony, but just the, I want to use an expletive, (laughs) just the the obtuse arrogance, the hubris, and the stupidity of men who are so blinded by their own pride and their own ego that they're just contradicting themselves over and over and over, and yet this, drama proceeds, and Jesus is never let go. He's never released. They cry out for his blood, crucify him, crucify him, and so Pilate mocks the fact that these, that these Jewish people cannot kill Jesus themselves. The scepter has been taken from them. They are not, they do not have the autonomy. They do not have the authority to execute capital punishment on an individual, and so Pilate says, take him yourselves and crucify him. They, they, They can't. They can't do that, Pilate's mad. Pilate is, is really getting pushed. Everything that he's trying to do to get Jesus released, they are not budging. They are not letting it happen and so Pilate's now making fun of them. And they cry out. They change their accusation against Jesus yet again the jews answered we have a law and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of god that is leviticus twenty four sixteen. that anyone who blasphem- blasphemes the name of god is to be put to death and jesus did claim to be the son of god jesus claimed to be god john eight fifty nine. i tell you the truth before abraham was born i am that's not that's not weird english that's the name of yahweh the tetragrammaton, the, the name that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Who should I say sent me when I go to Pharaoh and try to ask for, my, for the people to be released from slavery? And Yahweh said to him, tell him that I am sent you. And Jesus now is saying, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And there in John 8, they picked up rocks to stone him. He did claim to be God, but, this is, but the, the great irony is that he actually is. He's not lying They say that we have a law, right? We have a law. Like they're honoring the law. This again is just their hypocrisy. If they were obeying the law, they would have let him go. If they were obeying the law, they would have never turned Jesus in to begin with. If they were obeying the law, Jesus would have been stoned. That was what the Jews were supposed to do. Not handing him over to the Romans to be crucified. And they bring the allegation of him they say this is his crime he claims to be the son of god and by our rules by our our religion by our holy book that means that he's supposed to die but notice that they just stopped there They knew what happened with Lazarus They knew that Jesus had power to heal they knew that Jesus had power to bring back from the dead they knew that Jesus had power to heal disease to heal sickness He had power over the elements. He turned water into wine. He fed 25,000 people by multiplying a young boy's sack lunch, but they don't bring up any of it, and there's not any point in any of the Gospels where somebody tries to refute Jesus' miraculous powers. They all knew that he could do it. No one even had the guts to try to say this isn't true. The best that they could do was attribute his power to that of Satan, which is another blaspheme, the very thing that they're accusing Jesus of, blasphemy. These guys are condemning themselves. Their accusations against Jesus aren't even consistent. And there's some today. I, I, remember, I, I remember this was probably 2011. I had just started going to Door of Hope. I was, I was biblically stupid. I didn't know Revelation from Genesis, really, not really. And I was talking with some friends. I was, I, was, I was new to really being a Christian in the faith. And I got some buddies at Door of Hope, and we were sending out somewhere, and I was saying something about something about the Bible. And this guy that I, you know, never met, didn't have any problem with, he looked to be 75 or 80 years old, and he got mad, and he kind of like slammed his hands on the table. He's like, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I was like, I, I, I think he did. Um, you know, somewhere in here, I'm sure, John eight fifty-nine. There it is. If you're looking for the sentence, Jesus saying, I am God, you won't find it, but you will find him saying, I am you will find him saying, I am over and over and over. You will find him saying, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. And you know that he was claiming to be God. He said that he was the son of God because the leaders of that day tried to kill him when, they hit, when he said something like that because they knew what he was claiming and that was that he and the father were one. Jesus claimed to be God and he is. And that's what's so tragic about this. And this catches, this catches Pilate's attention. The accusation is brought, well, this guy says that he he claimed to be the son of God, and so verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he became more afraid. There was just something about Jesus. You know, Pilate has known this whole time Jesus is innocent, and there had to be something. There had to be something in his dignity, something in his silence. He wasn't pleading for his life. He wasn't begging he wasn't blubbering he wasn't crying he remained silent and dignified before Pilate and Pilate was a Roman soldier he had seen men crumble before him and Jesus stood with his chest up and his chin up dignified and Pilate knew that there was something about this guy remember in John chapter 7 Jesus is teaching and the Jewish authorities send uh, temple police to go have Jesus arrested and the temple police hear Jesus teaching And they stop in their tracks and they turn on their heels and they go back to the authorities without him and the authorities say why did you not bring him and their response is no man has ever spoken like this man there was something about Jesus and now Pilate hears the son of God and he gets nervous he gets more apprehensive and more scared than he already was and we see later on in scripture that there was this belief that the gods could come down, even within the life of the apostles themselves. In Acts chapter 14, Barnabas and Paul heal a man in Lystra who was unable to walk. They, they, they heal him, they bring strength into his legs, and a, and a miracle occurs, and the people of the town are stoked. And they think that the gods have come down and are now among men, and they start calling Barnabas and Paul uh, Zeus and Hermes and Barnabas and Paul are like no 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 no. we're just dudes <laughs> we're just dudes but we are we come to you in the name of Jesus there was this belief that the gods could come down and then later in, in the book of Acts at the very tail end there's a shipwreck and Paul is he, he survives the shipwreck and he ends up on an island and there on the island he's digging around in some firewood and a snake comes up at, jumps out of the wood and it latches onto his hand and Paul shakes it off and the natives of the island look at this happen and they go oh karma you survived the shipwreck but justice found its way and you just got bit by a snake and they waited for Paul to die they thought that he was an evil person they said that they that they believed he must be a murderer But one hour went by, two hours went by, three hours went by, Paul didn't swell up, he didn't bloat, he didn't drop dead, and so the people of the island changed their mind and said the gods must be among us. They believed that this sort of thing could happen. And so in Pilate's thinking, his pantheon of of deities out there, lowercase g gods that he believes in, he's thinking, is one of them here? Am (laughs) Am I really in this situation? He's in a more grave situation than he could ever imagine. And so he goes in verse 9. He entered the Praetorium again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now this question Pilate knew that Jesus was from the area of Galilee. We're told in the other Gospels that as soon as as Paul found out that Jesus was a Galilean, he breathed a sigh of relief, he wiped the sweat off his brow, and he sent Jesus to to Herod's jurisdiction, which was Galilee, hoping to not be in this very situation that he's in now. So he's not asking, where are you from? Because he doesn't know. He knows where he's from. But what he's really asking here is, what is your origin? Who are you? What are you? Uh, Yeah, 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 I know you're from Galilee, but... You're very composed. You're very quiet. This is unusual. Who are you, man? Five days ago, Jerusalem was up in arms, praising you as their king, and now they're turning you in, lying about you. What's your deal? And Jesus gives him no answer. Jesus remains quiet. <laughs> Pilate's conscience is no doubt bugged. He's confused. I mean, he's got to be confused about this guy, Jesus. He's never seen a man like this. But Jesus doesn't respond to him. And some people, some people teach here, you know, I read a lot of commentaries on this text, and there's a lot of people that teach here that the reason why Jesus remains silent is because Pilate had sinned himself past grace. He had sinned so bad and he had sinned so consistently and he had enough light revealed to him and rejected it that now Jesus is is you're 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 cut off. You had me beaten, you had me whipped, you've declared me innocent three times, but still you had me whipped. I'm done with you. There's no grace for you. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus himself said that anyone who comes to me, anyone who really comes to me, I will never cast out. Even some of the soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus right there in the heat of the moment said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I want to be careful here, but I really don't think that Pilate sinned himself past God's grace. I think that Pilate wasn't really sincere. I think that Jesus remains silent because Pilate was interested in saving his own skin, but he wasn't really interested in who Jesus was. He just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get in trouble. And so Jesus doesn't honor the question with an answer, and he remains silent. And the reason why I think that Pilate wasn't sincere is because of his response to Jesus. Jesus sort of snubs him, doesn't doesn't answer his question, and what does Pilate do? He puffs his chest up, and he gets in Jesus' face, and he pulls rank. So Pilate said to him, you're not going to speak to me? Listen, you can, you can pull this off with the Sanhedrin. You can pull off this with, with, your, with your Jewish kin. You can pull this off with the Pharisees, but you're not going to stand before me and treat me like a punk. Do you know who I am? I'm the Roman governor. I have authority to kill you or I have authority to let you go. So make sure that you act right. I don't think this is, <laughs> this is a repentant response. This is not a repentant heart. I don't think Pilate sinned himself past grace. I don't think he was really interested in it. He's interested in his position. He's interested in his, in, his, in his role of power and of influence. I love this. And Jesus says to him, verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. <laughs> I love that. And you know, it's true, Pilate's standing there saying, I have authority to do whatever I want with you, but no, he doesn't. He's stuck. He wants to let Jesus go, but he can't. And he can't kill him because it's violating his own conscience. He's stuck. This is what Jesus does to us, right? He challenges us. And he's gonna remain a challenge until we just bow to him and submit to what he says. And Pilate refuses to do that. Jesus says, you have no authority over me. You have this terrestrial, temporary delegation of authority for this little kingdom called Rome. But Jesus honors his father even in this moment and says, but my, my father is the one who is an ultimate authority. But it's amazing here and it's challenging to me because Jesus is exercising here a very real act of obedience that I hate and that is obedience to the law. I, if I could rip Romans 13 out of the Bible, I would have done it a long time ago. I have a real hard time with the passage that says, submit to the governing authorities. Whew. Jesus help me. I really struggle with that. But Jesus knows that this authority here in Rome on this day had been placed there by the Father. And Jesus submits to it because he's ultimately submitting to to the Father. So even though Pilate really doesn't have any authority, the delegated authority that he does have, Jesus in love for us on this mission to the cross, submits to it. But he lets Pilate know. You would have no authority over me if it hadn't been given to you. And he who delivers you over to me has the greater sin. Who is it who had the greater sin here? Some say that it was Judas. And that could be. I'm, I'm more inclined to think that it was, that it was Caiaphas and, and the greater Sanhedrin because, and you know, you could lump Judas in there. I don't really think that there's a point in, in, in dissecting any of that because the people who betrayed Jesus, Judas himself, the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, Annas, they knew better. They, they acted on a on a decided intentional continuing hatred for jesus a a a sense of selfishness and of pride and of hubris but they knew better they had seen his miracles they had heard him speak they had the old testament in their possession they were experts in torah and yet they still persisted he's been declared innocent they have no accusations to really bring against him the witnesses they brought together none of them agreed with one another and yet they continue with this charade and so they have the greater sin Pilate might be violating his own conscience. Pilate knows that there's something weird going on. He doesn't know exactly what he is, but he is convicted, but yet he doesn't, he doesn't know as much. He's not as, he, his knowledge is not as great. He's acting more in ignorance, and so Jesus says you have the greater sin, and there are degrees of sin, and Jesus does say that there are degrees of punishment, and it's not really for this sermon tonight, but it is a biblical truth. The more light that is revealed to us, the greater our responsibility to respond to it. Caiaphas and all the rest knew what they were doing. They acted in decided hatred. And Jesus also is saying here, he's saying, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is saying, Remember that whole authority thing that you just threw out? I'm actually the king. You're the one who's sinning. And one day you're going to stand before me in judgment, Caiaphas. Pilate and Caiaphas. They have the greater sin. He says it calmly. He says it quietly. And something still is bugging Pilate. He goes out, verse 12, and he kept seeking to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself to be out a king opposes Caesar. I don't know what Pilate said to him. But Pilate is now going out there trying to get Jesus Released, and they say, "No, you're no friend of Caesar." And now Pilate knows. He has, he has tried, and he has tried, and he has tried. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's left with the uh, with the choice of violating his conscience and killing Jesus, or letting them kill Jesus. And losing his place he knows that if he lets jesus go there will be a riot and he will be kicked out of his job and he very well will lose his life because tiberius the emperor did not mess around and may i suggest friends and may i be a man who regardless of what the cost might be if we find ourselves in this position we roll with jesus you're going to lose your job i roll with jesus you're going to lose health benefits i roll with jesus We're going to firebomb first image. We're going to smash the windows out of your church. I stick with Jesus. Come what may. Come what may. You can't put anything over on somebody like that. You know, that's what the power that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the book of Daniel because they knew. You do whatever you want with me. And Jesus taught that. He said, do not fear the ones who can chop your head off, but then can do nothing to you. Fear him. He says, I'll tell you who to fear. I love how pointed he is, because he's really trying to get this across. He says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who is after he has killed you, then has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. What can man do to me? But in order to have that kind of power, to or, in order to have that kind of boldness and chutzpah, we need to know who Jesus is and we need to spend time with him daily in his word. I am weak in my faith. I am weaker than I should be because I don't spend enough time here. I spend too much time in my head, moaning and, gr- and crying and whining about the, st- the state of the world, forgetting the fact that Jesus, <sighs> with him, what can separate us from the love of God? Sword, peril, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, no. Nothing that is created, nothing that is, that is in the spiritual realm or in the created realm, nothing that is living or is dead, that is past or present, can separate us from the love of God. This is the kind of power that we have available to us. Jesus stood his ground. He said, you don't have any authority over me. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, take whatever you want. I love what they said. Remember what they said to the king? I'm gonna turn up the heat seven times. I'm going to throw you in there. And they said, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't save us in like the right here, right now, physical sense. They kind of, they kind of were an early rendition of Paul. They said, well, for us to live is Christ and die as gain. What are you going to do? I want to be this kind of man. I want to be this kind of Christian. Let us be these kinds of people. Pilate might lose his job or he might give Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, over to people who want to kill him. His fear of man is greater than his fear of Jesus. However much he was afraid when he heard the term son of God, he was more afraid of losing his position. And we are promised again and again and again from the very lips of even Jesus himself to suffer to suffer for the name and to consider it an honor to do so look at how much he's suffering for us matthew 5 11 blessed are you when people revile you and insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven that will not take place if you cower if you kowtow to the masses if you act if you're weak if you do what peter did now there's grace peter blew it in a moment, he was tempted, he failed. We will, we will do that. It does happen. God is gracious. Praise him that his grace is new every morning. But the closer that Peter got to Jesus, the more bold he came in the Holy Spirit. He, got, he later got crucified upside down. And you know, the thing about Peter, he got crucified upside down. That's bad enough. The thing about Peter's martyrdom that really freaks me out and really calls me to question where I'm at is that before Peter got crucified upside down, history tells us that he watched his wife get killed. That freaks me out. That freaks me out. The history books tell us that as his wife was being murdered, Peter cried out to her and said, please do not forget the Lord. What if that happens here in the United States? I hope that it doesn't. But what what kind of people are we going to be? The work to become those kinds of people, it starts today. It starts right now. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. First Peter 4:16. Peter, he writes, "If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name." Jesus promised in chapter 16:2, "Those who kill you will think that they're offering service to God. And Christians all throughout history have been martyred, have been killed, and many of them were singing praises. As they went to the flames That's the kind of relationship with Jesus that I want That's the kind of relationship with Jesus I want y'all to have Verse 13 So Pilate heard these words He brought Jesus out And sat him down on the judgment seat In the place called the stone Called the stone pavement that's in Hebrew Gabbatha. And now it was the day of preparation for the Passover And it was about to be It was about the sixth hour About 6 a.m. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. <laughs> Pilate brings Jesus out and he says, behold your king. And again, the commentators are all over the place on this. Is Pilate mocking him? Is he, is he mocking the Jews? Is he saying, hey, here's, here's the best of all y'all. Here he is. Get out of my sight. I hate all of you. We don't really know what his intention was, but verse 15, they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? Do you really want me to do this? Crucifixion is a ghastly, horrible, ugly thing. I've beaten him, I've punished him, he's been whipped, he's, he's bruised. It's going to be six months of recovery. Do you really want this to happen? Do you really want me to crucify him? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And I don't even know what to say about that. These people are coming to Ju- They won't even enter the praetorium because they're going to become ceremonially unclean. But then they say, we have no king but Caesar. These guys are making it up as they go. Zero integrity, zero logic. They are blind with rage and they are condemning themselves. <laughs> they won't even enter the governor's house. It's unbelievable. They knew better than this. They knew better than this. They had, they had, they had brought they had, been, they had been insurrections after insurrection after insurrection because of the Roman rule over them and now they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. Are you stupid? That's a horrible thing to say. It's blasphemous because, again, they know better. Isaiah thirty three twenty two. the Lord is our king. They blaspheme the name of God. These people do not believe in God. They believe in their power. They believe in their position. They believe in having their cake and eating it too and living the good life and doing whatever they gotta do to keep that. And in order to keep their position, they need this Jesus guy dead. This is what human beings do apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit because he is light and we are dark and the darkness does not want to go to the light because their deeds will be exposed and after all of this Jesus remember whenever it said Jesus knowing all the things that were going to take place stepped forward at his arrest he stepped forward and got between the soldiers and his disciples and said here I am that is the king that we have and this is the heart that we have apart from him These are the kind of people that we are and yet it says in scripture that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave his only son for people like this. That's a love, friends, that all I can say about it is that I want to understand it more. I want to be changed by it more. I want to be conformed to who Jesus is. I want to be like he is and I want to preach in such a way that makes you want to be like Jesus. That's all I can do. This, so much of this is beyond my intellect. It's beyond my comprehension. It's beyond my, my English tongue. I can't, I can't, this stuff is beyond utterance. This is amazing. Amen? That's how good he is. He was given over. Our violence, our malevolence, our sin, he's wearing it. He's letting himself be victimized by it. And he's letting it happen so that at the end of it, propitiation will be had. And that the, the, <laughs> the wrath of God will be satisfied. So that we put our faith in him. He saves us. And then, like the text from this morning, he says, Welcome into the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. We get what Jesus gets. Praise and honor and glory. That's incredible. Friends, go throughout your week and just meditate on that. Think about that. Be transformed by that let's close with a word of prayer